You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 54, The Time Meddler. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Hello. I'm not the master. You're not the master. <laughs> but you're a time-meddling monk, <laughs> dastardly evildoer or troublemaker you (laughs) but it's so much fun (laughs) how's it going paul it's busy (laughs) (laughs) the last week alone has been a tidal wave (laughs) Ah. yeah well between editing and uh, roundtable podcasts and stuff going on at work and Halloween, you know, taking the kids trick or treating in the whole nine yards, uh, which you know obviously that's fun, but it's just a lot going on, you know. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> well, we're back, um, and we are now moving into our master story reviews. Yes. Uh, of course, the time meddler is the, the monk. He's not exactly the master, but originally, right. from what we understand, was designed to become the master um, right. originally. And we wanted to get the first and second doctors in on this uh, once again. So we're doing the time meddler and then the war games. Right. Uh, so that'll be fun. But before we get there, Paul, let's go to the news. Yes. And in the news today, absolutely nothing. No. <laughs> now, there was an uh, article that was released, but everything that was in it, we've already discussed. Right. It's like the Radio <laughs> Times released an article November 1st saying, well, what do we know about Series 10? And it's like, well, we've talked about that, and we've talked about that, and we've talked about that. They're just trying to fill up space talking about Doctor Who so we don't forget it's coming? Yes. Okay. okay and they're checking. creating clickbait. <laughs> True. <laughs> Although, what is coming up is the uh, Power of the Daleks premieres. Yes. So, in the next couple of weeks, that will be exciting. 
We are going to have a crossover podcast with the guys from Examining the Doctor. Um, we were originally talking about doing a commentary podcast, but since the announcement came out for the theatrical release, uh, we've decided to do an actual review in, in place of a commentary. So we'll get to review that along with all of the new animated visuals and everything. And uh, yeah, we'll have four people, big discussion, roundtable discussion, and I think it'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> we'll, you know, hopefully all of our schedules will mesh and we'll be able to get this done you know, quickly after it comes out, but we'll keep you guys updated on that. I know so. that they're going to release it on their thread. And as far as I know, we're going to release it on ours, too. We might change our music and stuff up, you know, let them do theirs and us do ours. Uh, but we'll have that on our thread as well. So, look forward to that. Uh, but, <laughs> I think I think that's all of the news. That's, that's uh, the it. biggest news that's that we had to news. talk about was for our show. So, <laughs> yes. let, let's move along. Move along. <laughs> I just figured it was a good time to make that announcement, you know. Exactly. Well, might as well when there's nothing else to talk about. So well, it's literally just weeks away. So exactly, and um, of course, by the time this episode gets edited and released, you know, I'm sure something will have come up and we'll be like <laughs> behind again in the news. So, but as of right now, that's it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's move on to the time meddler. Yes. All right, so Paul, it's been a, quite a bit since we've visited the first Doctor and any of his companions, so let's do just a quick rundown of the two companions we've got for this episode real quick before we actually jump into our thoughts on the episode itself. Uh, we have Vicky, who we have talked about before in right. the uh, episode The Chase, uh, dealing with the Daleks. And actually, Stephen was in that, too. That was where we were introduced to him. Yeah. This uh, is immediately that is... following that story yes. arc. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Vicky's been traveling with the Doctor for a while. She's the young woman who basically took the place of Susan after she left. Uh, she's smart. She's from uh, uh, the future. So she's, you know, scientifically and technologically intelligent and can keep up with the Doctor on some of his... Uh, scientific and technological ramblings. Uh, Stephen was an explorer who got marooned on the planet where we had the confrontation between the Daleks and the Mechanoids. Uh, and uh, we thought, well, the, the Doctor and his companions thought he didn't make it out of the burning city, but he did and stumbled upon the TARDIS in the last moments of the final episode of The Chase. What are your thoughts on Vicky and Stephen before we jump into the episode? Well... Vicky, to me, still seems very young, very energetic. Um, you know, mm -hmm. she's, I'm not going to say she's a teenager, but she's just out of being a teenager. Right. You know, she's just a little bit older, I think, than where Susan was, or maybe right in the same age that Susan was when we left Susan. And so she's still wide-eyed and, and, you know, looking at everything with this sense of wonder. And Stephen, on the other hand, is Mr. Cynical. Yeah. And Particularly in this story. Yeah. At first, it kind of bugged me just a little bit. But then, as I went into the story and started watching the story, it became kind of a little bit more of a um, an integral part of who he needed to be in the story. Because his cynicism 
even though it started out being a little annoying, ended up being the very thing that helped them learn the information that they needed to know in order to be able to meet their goal that they needed to reach by the end of the story. You know, and and so for me, that kind of I don't want to say endeared me to the character, but it kind of made me enjoy the character a lot more. You know, yeah. I uh, I like Vicky. She's she's pretty good. Um, I think I like her a little bit more than Susan, but I, I'm I'm also a big fan of of Stephen as well. Stephen Taylor. He's uh, not a replacement for Ian, but he's you know sort of fills that that void left by Ian um, very well. He's, he's and, dark Ian. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit more um, <laughs> experienced in the world. Yeah, I don't know. A little more right worldly. Thing. A little more worldly. Yeah. Than Ian is, uh, but I, I like Stephen. Uh, he fits in rather well with the cast. Well, I wouldn't and, say uh, that Ian is not uh, an experienced person. I would just say that his worldview is a little bit uh, more um, happy. You know, yep. <laughs> a little bit more academic. Yeah. He is a teacher after all. Well, so. you also have to think about the fact that uh, that Stephen spent a little bit of time locked away by himself and a lot of time in his own head. So Yeah, that is true. <laughs> that is very true. And if you if you want to know what we're talking about, go back and listen to the chase. Yes. Or just watch <laughs> it. Find find it somewhere and watch it. It's, or, a, it's a good episode. Or do both. <laughs> right. Watch it and listen to us talk about it. <laughs> That's kind of the point, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Spoilers. All right. So The Time Meddler was originally written by Dennis Spooner and directed by Douglas Camfield and was released from July 3rd to July 24th, 1965. This is the final storyline of season two of Doctor Who. Um, and just to give you an idea, there were eight storylines in the first season and nine storylines in the second season. Seasons were a lot longer and lasted almost the entire year back then. They had way <laughs> more episodes in them. Exactly. <laughs> so just to give you an idea, uh, season two started in October of 1964 and went to July of 1965. And then season three started up in September of 1965. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of makes you a little jealous, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> why, why can't we get that much, Doctor? Um, higher production anyway. value, maybe? You <laughs> won't go there. <laughs> it's very endearing. All right. So there is a, you know, there is a brief synopsis here that I'm going to read. Uh, the Doctor, Vicky, and new companion Stephen Taylor arrive in Saxon, Northumbria, on the eve of the Viking and Norman invasions. It is 1066, a pivotal moment in British history. The hand of a mysterious monk is at work in the nearby monastery, intending that history takes a different course. So, uh, before we get into the details, overall thoughts on the Time Meddler. I will put it this way. Um, coming off of our Capaldi episodes... I'm glad that we got the opportunity to have a few episodes with the fourth doctor because it wasn't nearly as big of a shock going back to the first doctor <laughs> because we had the cushion of the fourth doctor in the middle. Gotcha. You know, because the, 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 the tone and the visuals and everything 
uh, are just a little bit different from the 12th <laughs> Doctor to the 1st Doctor. You know, and... You think? And it's not that it's... Uh, it's not that it's not good. It's not that it's not, you know, well done or whatever. It's just a very dated style in in the way that it's portrayed. You know, of course, a lot of it, like we said before, has to do with budgeting and things like that. But a lot of it has to do with just the technology of the time, you know. Yeah. Um, and the way things they, were done. The, yeah, the, the cameras and stuff that they had were not as advanced as the ones they have now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They had fewer of them. You know, the editing style was not nearly as advanced because, well, let's just be honest, you know, people that did the really intensive editing and things uh, back in those days were doing motion pictures. Right. You know, uh, television editors were not expected to do the same things that people did for motion pictures. Whereas today, some of the editing and stuff you're seeing for TV is better than some of the stuff you're seeing for some of the motion pictures that we've got out now, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because TV is a completely different medium now than what it was then. And so, you know, it's just, it's 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 a it's a product of its time. It is. So yeah, I'm glad that we got the cushion of the fourth doctor in the middle because it was kind of a a buffer between the uh, the twelfth and the first doctors. Uh, you know, just because of the visual style and everything. Yeah. I, while that's all very true, I think this is a good example of the first doctor's run finally hitting its stride. Oh, most definitely. Uh, this is a very good first doctor story. Um, it's fun. Uh, it's, you know, the, the, the doctor is not quite as, uh, angry as he had been early on, uh, in the series. He's actually more jovial. He is. And he <laughs> jokes. And my favorite line of his is in this episode. Um, and it's also neat because we kind of get a little bit of a peek into the doctor's history. Right. Uh, because we have, the monk, who's another Time Lord. Right. We don't get the, the name Time Lord in this episode. Right. Uh, but. Well, the Doctor still doesn't want them to know where he's from. Exactly. So. Exactly. But we do get a little bit more of an idea of, of who he is and the fact that there's more of him out there, so to speak. Right. So well, let's go ahead and, and jump into the episode here. We kick things off uh, essentially hours after we leave Ian and Barbara uh I in would, the chase, I would it, it seems say like minutes. <laughs> yeah, because the doctor and Vicky are still talking about leaving them, saying right. that they're going to miss them, and the doctor even says, "Well, we didn't really give you much of a choice to go home when we rescued you, you right. know, all those episodes ago. Do you want to leave? I, you know, I want to make sure that you're happy." And yeah. Vicky goes, oh, "Well, where would I go? You know." Th- I'm fine. Let's keep doing this. Where would I go? You know, she's she is happy. So when they hear a sound, yeah, and they think there's a Dalek that's still on board. So they they are preparing for a Dalek, and out stumbles a very discombobulated Stephen Tyler, who passes out in the console room, holding a panda. Yes, it's his mascot. It's his mascot from the chase. I forget the mascot's name. Was it? I forgot. Hi-Bi or Hi-Bi, something like that? I think that was Maybe. it, Hi-Bi. I think, I think it was Hi-Bi. Um, but, yeah, um, it, it meant enough to him. I think there's something, and and you may have already seen this or, or, or not, I haven't gotten that far along in uh, the, the first Doctor and Stevens run together. Um, I think there's some kind of um, 
significance in his backstory that makes that panda mean something to him. Yeah. Um, because okay. it meant enough to him for him to turn around and go back into a burning building to save it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. He called it his mascot <laughs> back in the chase. So, um, unfortunately, the episode where he leaves, I believe, is one of the lost episodes. So, we, we need them to, to start animating all of those, <laughs> like they're doing with Power of the Daleks, so that we can actually see all these. So, anyway, we'll stop uh, requisitioning BBC for more classic Who. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, let's let's put some online uh, petitions together. Petitions out there, you know, and right. see what we can get. <laughs> I'm sure they're already out there. Um, as uh, the Doctor and Vicky try to figure out what they're going to do with Stephen, uh, they land on a rocky shoreline uh, and are noticed by a monk who is watching the TARDIS materialize very closely. Right. Meanwhile. Uh, Steven starts, you know, explaining, well, I, I managed to get out of the building. I found the TARDIS, but it looked weird. It didn't look quite like a spaceship. And then they go, oh, well, it's not just a spaceship. It's a time machine, too. Uh, what time machine? I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Very cynical. Um, Very cynical. Yeah. He's. <laughs> it's funny because Vicky calls it the TARDIS, and right. she goes, T-A-R-D-I-S stands for Time and Relative Dimensions in Space. And then he brands it in I-D-B-I. What's that? <laughs> I don't believe it. So... <laughs> well, I mean, he's, he's only reacting the same way that we would probably react if somebody told us the same thing. You know, we would probably have right. to have proof, too. So... Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the, the doctor goes, oh, stop fussing about it. Go get cleaned up. We're, we've landed. We need to get going so we can go explore. <laughs> so he goes and changes into some fresh clothes, gets a shave, um, and uh, see. I, I thought it was funny when the, he starts asking the doctor about different things in the TARDIS. He's like, "Well, what is this? Oh, that's my my console, you know. Well, what is that? Oh, that's my navigational, you know." And then the doctor finally gets tired of listening to it, and 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 he starts pointing at different things. And he says, "And that's a hat rack, and that's a chair with a panda on it, you know." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And that's a hat rack, and that's a chair with a panda on it. <laughs> I love that. I thought and, it was hilarious. And then, and then he looks very pointedly at Stephen, like <laughs> he's like, "Any more silly away. questions?" <laughs> he's like, "Go away! <laughs> You're bothering me, kid." <laughs> right. So uh. they disembark uh, the TARDIS, and while Stephen is staring at the TARDIS, trying to comprehend the fact that it's bigger on the inside than the outside, uh, Vicky hands the Doctor a helmet. And this is where we get my favorite line of the first Doctor ever. Uh, he takes the helmet over to Stephen and says, Well, there, there you are. You see a Viking helmet. Oh, well, maybe. What do you mean, maybe? What do you think it is? A space helmet for a cow? <laughs> it's great. It's so funny. I love it. Oh. And Stephen's like, well, it could be a kid's costume, basically. <laughs> the Doctor's like, fine. We shall have to find more proof for you, my stubborn friend, or something like that. Well, see, now, this is, for me, this is when Hartnell really gets comfortable playing the Doctor, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because compared to this, he started out much stiffer and much more proper and, 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 you know, always walked around holding his lapels and everything. And he still does that physicality, but the the way that he comes off in his mannerisms and stuff is much looser now than what it was in season one, you know. Right. 
even to the point of the tone of the story. You know, the the tone of the show has even changed uh, from what it was in season one. Uh, right. And I think that has a lot to do with William Hartnell's performance at this point in his run. Mm-hmm. He's he's evolving just like Capaldi's evolving. Yeah. It's gotten a little bit more whimsical. Yeah. which Fanciful. I, yeah, which I really like. They decide to continue exploring. Uh, the Doctor goes one way and uh, Stephen and Vicky go another. The Doctor's going to take the more the longer, easier path, <laughs> whereas Stephen and Vicky are going to climb the cliff to get up top first. Now, see, this bothered me. And this oh. is why. Uh, the logic behind it is what bothered me, because there was absolutely no logistical reason why he would make them wait at the bottom of the cliff for him to take however long it took for him to find a way to the top and then make them climb up to him. You know, the only reason that I could see that could be justified for that decision is the fact that he just wanted to go exploring on his own. Well, why wouldn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what happened when he tried to do that on Scaro? (laughs) Details. Um... (laughs) Well, well, look at it this way. Look at it this way. Perhaps he wanted to be on his own because he's missing Ian and Barbara, and missing them is reminding him of missing Susan. And he wanted to be alone with his thoughts. I'll give you that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally reading into that, but... I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Two men from the nearby village had seen the TARDIS on the beach, uh, well, one had seen it and went to get somebody else. And by the time they both get back, the tide has come in and the TARDIS is no longer visible. And they're disappointed because they, you know, it's probably been smashed against the rocks. How unfortunate. Would have been very interesting. Uh, the doctor, much later, stumbles across a little homestead. As he's looking around inside, trying to find clues as to where they're at and when they're at, um, he gets confronted by the the wife that lives in the house. She's very wary of him at first, and when he apologizes uh, for intruding, and they become very amicable, she offers him some mead, which he's very pleased with, um, and he starts quizzing her for information on when and where he is, um, and which the doctor deduces, ah, this is just before the Battle of Hastings. See, this, this indicates to me that this is either before the doctor has repaired the uh, readouts in the TARDIS that tell him where he is, or before he has modified the TARDIS to add that in. Right. Because later on he doesn't all... have to do this to find this information out. Right. But it's also sometimes fun for him to go, Let not, let's not look at that and let's figure it out on our own. <laughs> Especially when they walk out and they're on a beach and it doesn't seem dangerous. <laughs> of course, you know, then there's also the times when they say, don't open the door, you don't even know if you can breathe the air. And he just walks right on out, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> the doctor can hear the monks singing in the monastery um, that's up the hill a little ways. And while the the woman is refilling his mead, the singing warps just a little bit. It warps in a way that's not natural, and that immediately catches the doctor's attention. He's, what is that? You know, and yeah. uh, he finds out that you know the the monks have only come back to use the monastery only recently but only one monk has really been seen it's very it's very very interesting <laughs> i think i should go pay them a visit elsewhere steven and vicky are uh trying to sneak along and not be noticed by someone they hear coming this person is about to pass them by when he stops and picks up an item on the ground 
thinking that's you know that they've dropped something, Stephen confronts the man, and in a scuffle gets himself knocked over the head, but manages to get the item. <laughs> the item is not one of theirs, but it is a wristwatch. Yeah. And Stephen goes, "Oh, so we're really, you know, back in time with this." <laughs> and Vicky's well, like, there has to be an explanation we, for that. We probably should have added in at the beginning that Stephen can sometimes be a little bit of a hothead. Because oh, yeah, just a, yeah, he decided you know. to jump this guy without ever even asking a question or anything, and you know, then the guy just retaliates to defend himself. You know, exactly. <laughs> the doctor has found his way to the monastery, and uh, seems to be expected because the door is unlocked. And uh, the doctor moves through the monastery following the singing, which is still going. Uh, it's returned to normal. Um, and he finds the source. There's a gramophone. It's attached to an amplifier. And uh, yeah, the doctor turns it off. goes, hmm, you know, uh, as he does. He starts giggling, you know. Yep. And, and his reaction <laughs> almost seems strange to me because... If it were me in that situation uh, that he finds himself in, I think I would have been a little bit more confused and a little bit more concerned in my external reactions, you know, whereas he almost felt like well, I kind of expected to find this, you know. Well, when, when you and, hear it warping earlier. Yeah, but the thing is, this is not of the time. Right, and exactly. So because it's not of the time it should have automatically given him warning bells to say, something's not right. I should be very wary. You know, no, what, this, what this is, this is now a mystery for him to solve a puzzle for him to solve a little adventure to exercise the gray cells. So to speak, he's, he's, he finds this amusing that someone has decided to bring a gramophone back here. Um, and I, until and he I finds get out. that part of it, but the results of where this leads to immediately you know, kind of at the same time informs on my argument a little bit too, though, you know? <laughs> well, yes. Uh, while the doctor initially finds it amusing, uh, a set of steel bars suddenly crash down in the doorway, trapping him inside the room with the gramophone, and the right? monk makes his way towards the doctor, laughing maniacally. Yeah. <laughs> laughing a bit like the master, actually. <laughs> a bit, yes. And that's where episode one ends. Oh. Uh. Um, <laughs> Episode two starts up the next morning. Uh, the monk has made breakfast for the doctor yeah. with a toaster and electric griddle. Right. <laughs> uh, he brings it to the room where he's keeping the doctor prisoner, who, according to the TARDIS wiki description here, petulantly rejects it, throwing what appears to be the contents of a wash basin into the monk's face. <laughs> Go away! Splash! Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's basically all that we really we don't actually see the doctor in episode two. William Hartnell took a you know break from filming every so often and uh, due to his health. And so this episode was filmed entirely without him. He just provided his voice dialogue later on <laughs> uh, for for this episode. <laughs> yeah. So we spent a lot of time with Stephen and Vicky, who you know wake up in the middle of a clearing that they've spent the night in. Stephen has gone to fetch breakfast, and when he <laughs> returns, he's got blackberries or blackberries. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's better than cat, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just be glad you're not on Melmac. What? Melmac. 
Alf. Alf. Alf used to eat cats. Ow. <laughs> Gross. Before he came to Earth. Cats were a delicacy on Milmac before he left Milmac and came to Earth. <laughs> Ew. I don't think cats would taste very good. Uh, anyway, um, Vicky and Steven are found by villagers, and since they are strangers in the area, they are immediately ambushed and taken back to the village. Uh, the monk is out and about wandering and is brought some food by women of the village. But of course, this is after he's been, you know, looking over the, the cliffside through a pair of, you know, very modern looking binoculars yeah. and missing his wristwatch and noticing a Viking longboat coming in, which he seems very happy about. Right. <laughs> Scouting party. <laughs> yes. He's very excited. Um, he's like, finally. <laughs> and you're like, what? What is he doing? Why does he want them here? Stephen and Vicky are brought back to the village, and there's an argument about what to do with them uh, when the woman who the doctor met the night before, Edith, intervenes. She's like, wait, <laughs> are you with an old man? Yes, yes. Was he here? Yes, last <laughs> night. He went to the monastery, and, you know, they they let them go, and Vicky and Stephen head off towards the monastery to find the doctor. Uh, the Vikings have unfortunately made their way to dry land, uh, and they break <laughs> off into some scouting parties. Um, Sven, Ulf, and Gunnar are the ones that we end up following, and they're going to survey the land and sack the first village they come to for provisions. So now we have another faction here. We've got the doctor and his companions, we've got the monk, and now we've got these Vikings. Uh, what do you think about all this? I think we're building a story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that it's interesting um, because even back in season two of the classic series, they were beginning to build more and more complicated storylines, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that it's better uh, to have that and, you know, because it justifies the length of the stories and stuff when you have that. As opposed to saying, okay, we're just going to have a six-part story of this simple storyline, and because we need it to last six episodes, we're going to put this filler in there, and that filler in there, and this filler in there. And I mean, how many times can you knock the same person out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I think that, that it shows their growth in the show, because they are building um, more cohesive and, and uh, more complicated storylines but at the same time, keeping it um, where it kind of flows together and it doesn't feel like uh, a discombobulated mess, you know? Right. Um, Stephen and Vicky make their way to the monastery and speak with the monk, who says that he's seen no one about. There's nobody that's come visiting here. And Stephen goes, really? Well, can you ask the other monks? Other monks? Oh, yes, the other monks. <laughs> uh, sure, wait here. Um, As if to say, so oh, he, there are supposed to be other monks. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, so he goes inside to check with the other monks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Emphasis on the quote fingers there. Uh, <laughs> it would have really been funny if he'd come back out with Groucho Marx's, uh, you know, glasses and mustache. And <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we haven't seen anybody. Um <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but uh, while he's gone, Vicky and Steven believe the monk is lying to them. Right. And so 
Steven well, has devised. Steven believes the monk yes. is lying to them. Yes, that <laughs> is true. Is Vicky's his like, cynicism what? starts coming in handy. It does. It does. <laughs> and Vicky's like, are you sure? He goes, yes, just follow my lead and don't say anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the monk reemerges to say, oh, well, the other monks, they haven't seen him. <laughs> All right, well, keep a lookout. And remember the description I gave you. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Uh, old man, white hair, blah, blah, blah. And the, the monk proceeds to give the description of the doctor <laughs> and then heads back inside. Goodbye, my son. Good day. You know, all that stuff. Right. And then Stephen looks at Vicky and she goes, we never gave him a description. He was like, <laughs> exactly. So we'll come back to, tonight and break in and rescue the doctor. And that would be one spot where I would say that the monk doesn't come off as being like the master. The The other thing, though is the monk wanted the doctor to come in and discover his stuff. Right. And so I'm wondering if the monk did that on purpose this time to continue to stir the pot, so to speak. It's possible. It's possible. That would be something the master would do. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, now I will say this. I I like the monk better than I thought I was going to. I th- okay. Because uh, at first glance you almost expect him to behave a little bit more like a comical character and he doesn't at all, you know? Right. And so I like the fact that he plays him very seriously. Uh, He's got his funny moments though. Well, every blue moon, I mean, you know, (laughs) I think he's, well, the master has funny moments too. So well, true. But I I feel like uh, the monks, more prone to a bit of humor than uh, the master is. Of course, this is very early on right. in this Time Lord's life, you know, if you believe that he becomes the master or not. So, unfortunately, that evening, the Vikings find the village. Yeah. Um, Edith is wounded, and when her husband, who's the village leader, and some of the other villagers return, they immediately suspect Stephen and Vicky, but Edith says, no, it was Vikings. <laughs> the villagers then stage an ambush for the Vikings, uh, battle ensues. One of the Vikings is killed, and a couple of the villagers are, and another uh, villager, Eldred, who's the one who's completely distrustful of the Doctor and his companions, is wounded as well. I like the fact that one of the Vikings has an eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a, a very distinct eye patch. Yeah. You know, because uh, it made me think back on our Viking episodes uh, from Series 9. Mm. Um, and it made me feel like that when they did the, the whole thing with the eye patch in Series 9, that it was maybe kind of an homage to uh, the Viking episode here, you know. Yeah, that, that it could be. That it could be. Uh, Wolnoth, who's the village leader, takes Eldred towards the monastery for sanctuary so that Eldred can be uh, patched up after this vicious attack. Okay, I just have to say something. Okay. This fight choreography in this scene was atrocious. Yeah. (laughs) It was. I'm sorry, but I think I could have put a bunch of preschoolers together and got a better action scene out of this (laughs) than what we saw in in this episode. This is this is where uh, the differences start to really exemplify themselves between the classic and modern series. Well, not even uh, that between the, the 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 first Doctor series and like say the fourth and fifth Doctor series, even you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> or even the third it's... Doctor series because the third Doctor had a lot of action in it, you know. 
Right. <laughs> That's true. Um, but yeah, there was, uh, how shall we put it? Some very <laughs> unconvincing, very telegraphed <laughs> fight choreography going well, on. There were literally spots where you could see the guy getting ready to swing his sword, and he stops and waits for the other guy to look at him so that he can swing his sword and the other guy can duck. You know? <laughs> And it was it was very, very telegraphed, as you say. There was even a spot in there where I'm pretty sure somebody's wig went sideways on his head. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the guy's one of the, hair, where one of the guy's hair stood up straight in the middle where it looked like his toupee was coming halfway off and it looked like a mohawk on one side, you know. Uh-oh. Uh yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> no, I, I find this charming because of its flaws, but it, it just goes to show you that they didn't have the ability to go back and reshoot any of this stuff. Right. They didn't have the ability to do multiple shots of the same thing. It was like, okay, we got one take, make it good, you know? <laughs> Pretty much. And, and you'll see that especially, uh, in Hartnell's later seasons, uh, where he's, you know, it's taking a, bigger and bigger toll on him mm-hmm. to do these episodes and he starts you know forgetting lines and he, he's he's done it a couple times already before he'll start forgetting lines or missing cues a little bit here and there and you'll see the actors cover up those mistakes or work around it or uh he'll correct himself well, he'll forget and then he'll just ad lib right you know because he forgets what he's supposed to say and then they have to adapt what they're going to say based on what he just said <laughs> so exactly <laughs> Exactly. Um, and, and this really is, you know, time is money, and they didn't have the time or film to do more than one or two takes on these things. Right. So, anyway, uh, Stephen and Vicky break into the monastery to look for the doctor. They're, they're sneaking around, exploring. They find the gramophone. The monk is stalking them, though. He's watching them to see what they're going to do. This is partly why I think he might have deliberately given that description when they didn't give him one before mm-hmm. because he, he was waiting for them uh, when they came in. Okay. But he, he lets them continue to explore and he's watching them as they make their way to the, the prison door where the doctor is supposed to be. Unfortunately, he has to be called away because the villagers start banging on the door looking for sanctuary. Sanctuary! Sanctuary! <laughs> Sorry, I had to. <laughs> so he has to go play the dutiful monk uh, role again. All right, come in, my son. And see, his acting like he's a completely different person is very master-like. You know, very master-like. <laughs> the, uh, Stephen and Vicky arrive at the cell where the doctor is. They think they see him in the cell. They go inside, only to realize the doctor is gone. And uh, there's blankets and furs. Yes, furs and pillows under the covers to make it look like he's sleeping. And so they don't know where he is. Um, as they conduct a search of the cell, they find a secret passage. Uh, and the doctor must have used it to escape. And so they decide to head down the secret passages themselves to see if they can find the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> the monk has come back to check on the doctor to make sure that Steve and Vicky haven't released him only to find the door is open and the passage is open as well. And that everybody's gone Yeah. before he can do anything. He looks very frustrated. <laughs> yes. But before he can do anything, the, the villagers uh, call him back <laughs> after his escape though, the doctor has made yeah. it back to the village. 
and uh, she fills him in on the latest goings-on, the fact that Stephen and Vicky went up to the monastery, the fact that the Vikings are there, and the doctor goes, well, the Vikings the monk must be yeah. linked somehow, and I must go find out <laughs> how. So he goes back to the monastery. This is one of those Sherlock Holmes episodes, for the doctor anyway. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, of course, he heads back to the monastery at the same time Stephen and Vicky are emerging from the secret passage tunnel and when they can't find the doctor, they decide to go back to the TARDIS, thinking he might have gone back there to meet up with them anyways. So we've got the doctor and his companions going opposite directions once again. <laughs> I have a question. Okay. Do you remember any time at all up to this point where the doctor told this guy what his name was? I don't think so. I don't either. But the monk knows the doctor's name. Yes. <laughs> I ask you that for a reason. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. They seem to have a level of familiarity. The the monk more so with the doctor than the doctor with the monk. But yes, there is a level of familiarity. This is the point where the doctor goes back to the monastery again. Yes. And he knocks well, he does the the uh the the, the doorbell ditch. The ding dong ditch. Yeah, he yeah. he uh <laughs> He, he knocks on the door and he disappears. And he knocks Mom. on the door and he disappears. Mom. He does this two or three times. But then when the monk finally comes outside, he pokes a stick in his back and tells him not to move. Right. <laughs> of course, he, he calls the stick, you know, like like a, some sort of musket, I think, is what, what he yeah. uh, claims to have. Um, <laughs> uh, this is, of course, after the monk has used modern medicine, like right. aspirin, right. to uh, tend to <laughs> Eldred uh, right. to get him back to health. But this is the point where they go back inside the monastery... With the, the monk, he has his hands up. And this is the point where the monk calls the doctor by name. And there's never any point in the story up to this point where you hear him referred to as the doctor in front of the monk. Well, actually, now that I think about it, he may have picked it up from Stephen and Vicky. I don't remember that. I remember them calling him their friend. But when he went back to check with the other monks... Right. Um... I, he was standing there at the door listening, basically, and I think they might have talked about the doctor then. Mm. So that could be where he found out, too. It's possible. Now we've got to go back and I know, look. I, Thanks, I know, right? I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just offering, I'm playing devil's advocate here and offering the other solution to this, this thing. Well, this is the reason I brought it up, because at this point in the story, the dynamic between the monk and the doctor is very very distinct yes the doctor shows some familiarity in the way that he approaches the monk but he doesn't act like he knows who the monk is sort of the same scenario that you have between capaldi's doctor and missy mm. when he first meets missy and she reveals who she is to his shock you never even get the um, indication that he would figure out who this was if he was not told. So I, I, in my mind, and and I'm not trying to read into it too much, but I'm just basing it on what I saw on screen. In my mind, it seemed to me that the monk knew exactly who the doctor was, but the right. doctor didn't realize who the monk was. Yeah, because the the monk would have recognized the doctor's face the monk would have probably had a different face than what the doctor had last seen him with. Exactly. And the doctor, from what we gather in later stories um, with future doctors, the doctor 
was positioned rather highly mm-hmm. uh, in prominence before he decided to leave Gallifrey. Mm-hmm. You know, so he would have been known. Um, I still wish we could get the backstory on exactly what events led up to his leaving. You know, that would be yeah. so cool. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> well, they've got an actor they could use to pull it off with, but, you know, they would have to do it justice. So, you know, they could do a movie. Oh, they could. <laughs> Special event. But I think they're going to, I think they're still going to keep some part of the Doctor a mystery. <laughs> but no, uh, I, I only bring this up because it does give you a very distinct notion that they were playing the long game with this and they were going to make this character, the doctor's Moriarty basically, which is what the master ends up being. Uh, So, you know, in my mind, I really wish that we had gotten that transition from this character into the master. I do as well. I do as well. Uh, Because I, you know, just watching the TV series and not being overly familiar with a lot of the um, other Material mm-hmm. uh, that surrounds the the master, the monk, the war master. Uh, I think it makes a very nice transition going from the monk to the war master to the master, um, as we will look at here. Uh, and it makes very logical storytelling sense for that character to progress the way that those three did, especially uh, since the um, the version that is in uh, the next episode we're going to talk about his appearance is moving more in the direction of what we see the master become and in, in having the, the goatee and that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, we'll save that for next episode. I'm, I'm just making one reference. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I just haven't watched any of that yet. So I, I'm going, I'm basing it on pictures. I've not seen the episode okay. yet. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Let's get back to the time meddler, uh, because the the monk has learned from Eldred as he's been tending his wounds that the Vikings are here and that a full invasion is imminent. The monk right. is very pleased with this news, saying that he's on schedule. Uh, of course, the two remaining Vikings from the scouting party have differing opinions on what they're supposed to do. You know, the, one wants to continue with the mission and then report back, uh, and the other says, "No, we should hide and then wait for an opportunity to get out of here." They finally decide, okay, let's go hide in the monastery and uh, then go from there. <laughs> we'll make our decision from there. Um, before the doctor did his little ding-dong ditch on the monk, we saw <laughs> the monk reviewing a plan yeah. that he has on a scroll. And these <laughs> are the eight items on his plan. One, arrival in Northumbria. Two, position atomic cannon. <laughs> what? Uh, three, sight Vikings. Four, light beacon fires. Five, destroy Viking fleet. Six, Norman landing. Seven, Battle of Hastings. And eight, meet King Harold. Because, you know, that's just for fun, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. You get the impression he's doing this almost like it's a vacation. <laughs> right. I'm on holiday. I think I'll go destroy some Vikings. <laughs> right. And um, the first three items are checked off. So he's arrived in Northumbria. He's positioned the atomic cannon and he's sighted the Vikings. This is, of course, uh, when the doctor shows up and is not very pleased uh, with what the monk is doing. Stephen and Vicky arrive where they left the TARDIS, uh, but they don't see the TARDIS because the tide is in. And they're now very concerned that either the doctor left or that the TARDIS has been destroyed. And so they go, well, 
let's go back to the monastery, see if the doctor's gone back looking for us, <laughs> and we'll go from there. As they make their way back, they come across the monk's atomic cannon, which is pointing out to sea. Yeah, because that's not weird. Which, this is another very, <laughs> very perturbing thing that does not fit. I think I'd be more uh, more worried about that than I was the wristwatch. <laughs> yes, I would as well. That's not even in, that's not even from something from the 1960s or something. That's from the future. <laughs> exactly. Um, they decide to sneak back into the monastery via the secret passage. So they're not going to go up to the front door again. Uh, as the doctor is trying to interrogate the monk, we get another knock on the door. This monastery has suddenly become very, very popular, much to the monk's chagrin. The monk starts rolling his eyes. He's like, oh my gosh, really? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The the doctor then requests a, a monk's robe, basically, uh, in order to help him blend in uh, when the two of them go to the door, because the doctor is not letting the monk out of his sight. He was like, I will beat you with my stick. <laughs> exactly. This is after the monk just realizes that it's not actually a rifle. He's like, oh. But, uh, <laughs> I can still do you some damage. <laughs> exactly. Poke your eye out. Uh, the Vikings, of course, are the ones at the door. As soon as they open the door, the Vikings burst in and take the doctor hostage. <laughs> what is the meaning of this? You know, unhand me! Um, of course, the doctor is the one taken uh, hostage, and um, the monk slips away in the confusion. Of course, the doctor is put back into his original cell, where he's guarded by one of the Vikings. Uh, the monk knocks out the other Viking who's roaming the uh, monastery and ties him up. And then slips back to the village, where he wants the village leader to help him set up signal fires. Because he's a little busy at the moment. <laughs> right. I'm a little busy at the moment. I do it myself. But why do we need to set up signal fires? Well, you know, if there's Vikings around, we need to be prepared. Oh, oh, okay, of course. Although, Wolnoth, the village leader, and his wife, Edith, are suspicious because... The doctor had mentioned a Viking invasion, and they're wondering <laughs> if the monk is helping move that along. Of course, Missy would just light one of them on fire and let him run around the <laughs> beach, but, you know. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We're glad the master is not that demented yet. Um, <laughs> gosh, is she... Bananas! <laughs> um, anyway... <laughs> Uh, Sven looks back into the doctor's cell to check on him and sees the secret passage wide open. <laughs> um, he goes into the cell to investigate, only for the doctor to emerge from behind the cell door and knock him unconscious. He says, you had me worried there. I thought you'd never come back in here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, man. The monk has returned and is gloating to Ulf, who's the other Viking that he's trussed up like a turkey, gloating to him about how the beacons are to be lit, uh, <laughs> and all he has to do is deal with the Doctor, and his plan will come to fruition. He then turns around to find the Doctor behind him with Sven's sword, demanding answers. <laughs> See, this is the part where I kind of got the impression that the 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 monk... I keep wanting to say the master. Uh, the monk <laughs> was wanting to reveal who he was to the Doctor, but never got up to that point, you know? Yeah. Because he was, his interaction with the doctor wasn't unfriendly. No. And if you think about it, 
even with later incarnations of the master, he never talked to the doctor in a way that was necessarily unfriendly or whatever. He always treated him like his friend who doesn't see eye to eye with him. If you get my exactly. <laughs> yes. Particularly uh, with the third doctor. Right. Um, <laughs> After the third Doctor, the Master starts getting a little bit more uh, evil, shall we say. Well, he has reasons to start going crazy, but we'll we'll get there. We'll get into that eventually. (laughs) Stephen and Vicky have emerged back into the monastery and have located a large sarcophagus with a power cable sticking out of it. They open the sarcophagus through doors in the side that they find, which goes into a TARDIS. The monk's got his own TARDIS. I wanted to do the happy dance. <laughs> <laughs> As Stephen and Vicky are exploring the TARDIS, the doctor interrogates the monks on his intentions. The monk says, well, I intend to destroy the Vikings and allow Harold Godwinson to take the throne. Because if I remember my history of this correctly, uh, the king of England, and I forget the king at the time, goes to deal with the Viking invaders first allowing Harold to come in and start invading from the other side of England. Uh, And once the Vikings are dealt with, the king heads back to deal with Harold, who was defeated at the Battle of Hastings, if I remember my British history correctly, which I could be wrong on that because I live in, I've lived in Texas and Arizona here in the United States. So, um, so that's not, not exactly, exactly my forte. Yeah, it's not exactly the, uh, the lessons that we're taught about in our national history. So, uh, no, no, I could tell you about the, uh, uh American Revolution or the uh, Civil War. Yeah, it wasn't very civil. But not the Battle of Hastings so much. Mm. <laughs> Uh, the, 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 of course I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, when, when the, uh, the doctor starts questioning him about why he's doing this without actually saying these words, he basically says, why not? You know, right. <laughs> because I feel like it, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he never gives a legitimate reason. It's just, this is what I want to do. And so this is what I'm doing. You know? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> the doctor of course is furious with the monk for meddling in time. You want fun, old time meddler? There's the title <laughs> of the episode. Right. Um, and the doctor basically starts quoting the first rule of time, you know, don't interfere, that sort of thing. But he paraphrases it as the golden rule of time. Right. Um, not to interfere with history. And the doctor orders the monk to show him his TARDIS. When they go to the TARDIS, Stephen and Vicky are still there, who have discovered a wealth of historical artifacts uh, and a journal. And the journal, of course, records... Histories of meeting with Leonardo da Vinci to discuss powered flight. Right. <laughs> and using time travel to collect a fortune in compound interest from a bank. Right. <laughs> Which is probably what we would do with it. But anyway. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, they also find, you know, a crate of bazookas and other atomic cannons. Yeah. <laughs> Things are not going well because one of the Vikings also uh, regains consciousness and... Eldred, who's recovering from his injuries rather well, thanks to the aspirin, spots the Vikings <laughs> and then runs off to warn the village about what's going on. How did you make my head stop hurting? Right. <laughs> aspirin. Magic, my son. Yes, ma- <laughs> a little bit of uh, special herbs, my son. <laughs> the, the, the doctor and the monk, uh, you know, basically compare TARDISes. You know, whose is better? Well, mine's a Type 40, mine's a newer model, and you know, the chameleon circuit in yours is broken, isn't it? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> details. We'll fix it. 
There's um, a lot of things broken on the Doctor's TARDIS. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he stole it from a maintenance bay, so... <laughs> yes. Yes, he did. Um, or, or rather, she stole him. <laughs> yeah, yes. Depending on who you're asking. Um, the, the Doctor deduces that the monk... Well, if not the monk, then at least the TARDIS is uh, 50 years in his future from when he left Gallifrey, uh, since it's newer. He's reunited with Stephen and Vicky, who tell him that about their TARDIS and how it's washed away. And the doctor goes, no, it's still there. You know, it'll be fine. When the tide goes out, it'll be good as new. Of course, the monk takes that moment to escape, who runs then straight into the Vikings. Uh, the monk then blames the doctor, Vicky, and Stephen for the Vikings' mistreatment. And the Vikings tie our heroes up uh, so that they don't cause any more trouble. Uh, the villagers now suspect that the monk is a Viking spy when Eldred bursts in and tells them about the Vikings at the monastery. This confirms the villagers' suspicions, and they head for the monastery armed with whatever they can get their hands on. Get the um, torches and pitchforks! Essentially. <laughs> essentially. I think Wolnoth still has a sword, but that's about it. <laughs> The monk then actually teams up with the Vikings in order to make them sink their own ships. Yeah. Uh, the bazookas <laughs> are charms to help your Viking ships right. sail clear waters and all this stuff. <laughs> and they're helping to carry the bazookas to the atomic cannon, but are met by the horde of villagers. Um, <laughs> everybody scatters. The Vikings are captured by the villagers. Well are killed by the villagers because of their attack on Edith, uh, and the monk manages to slip away back towards the monastery unnoticed. Edith uh, frees the doctor and his companions and invites them back to the village for a celebration. Oh, we'll be there, but I have a few matters to clear up here first, uh, <laughs> says the doctor. Hmm. Uh, the doctor is tampering with the monk's control panel. <laughs> He's tying a string around a particular component um, and backs out of the TARDIS, leaving enough slack on the string so that it doesn't become taut or tense. Uh, he seems very focused on what he's doing. When Stephen and Vicky ask what he's doing, he says, Hush, <laughs> let me focus. And he shoos them out of the TARDIS. <laughs> Vicky leaves and Stephen sticks around. <laughs> yeah. Stephen says something to him and he looks at him once again like, Get out of here, kid. You're bothering yeah. me. Right, exactly. <laughs> Do you mind? Um <laughs> After they're all safely outside of the TARDIS, the Doctor yanks on the string, successfully pulling a specific component out behind him, and very pleased with what he's done. You know, <laughs> declaring, ha ha, I've done it! He then leaves a nice little note for the monk to find when he returns back to the TARDIS. Right. <laughs> and then the Doctor and his companions head back to their TARDIS via the celebration of the village in order to head on to bigger and better things. The episode ends with the monk returning to the monastery, returning to his TARDIS, and before going in, finds and reads the letter. So the doctor basically says that he's sorry he couldn't say goodbye, but he suspects the monk will be busy for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Stop your time meddling, because I've tampered with your TARDIS, and maybe I'll return later to free you when you've learned your lesson. The monk is initially scornful, thinking, oh, you can't tamper with my TARDIS, you can't sabotage it, it's, it's uh, not susceptible to damage. <laughs> when he opens the door and finds out that the doctor has removed the dimensional control. And it's no longer bigger on the inside. <laughs> nope. No. The TARDIS is exactly as big on the inside as it is on the outside. 
Oh. Basically marooning the monk <laughs> in 1066. And that's where the episode ends. <laughs> you almost expect him to start shaking his fists at the sky and going, Doctor! <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that doctor and those meddling kids. Um... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So, what did you think about all this? The doctor has the doctor has thwarted the monk's plans to change history for his own amusement, um, and has left uh, the monk stranded. I thought this would have been a perfect introduction for the master, <laughs> because honestly, the dynamic between the doctor and the master almost comes off like either an older and younger brother. Mm-hmm. Or two schoolmates who were sometimes friends, but more more times than not picked at each other. Right, and that's how the dynamic comes off. Yeah, not not only with the the doctor and the monk, but also with the doctor and the master. You know, so mm-hmm. you could very clearly see how it would be a smooth transition for this to happen yeah. with this character, um, especially with them leaving his his background completely mysterious leaving him appearing to know exactly who the doctor is and exactly where the doctor's from and everything about the doctor, but the, right. you know, not indicating to the doctor who he is. Right. Uh, yeah. Oh, by, by the way, I should mention that by the end of this, Stephen is convinced that the TARDIS is also a time machine. I should mention that. Um, <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> yes. Okay. I will say this before we go any further. There okay. Is, there is another appearance of the monk. Yes. However, we have already talked about this in a different episode. Yes. So you'll need to go back and listen to that episode to hear about the next encounter with the monk. Right. Uh, And I'll give you a brief heads up about this. Uh, The monk shows up in the storyline, The Dalek's Master Plan, uh, which is an enormous (laughs) storyline. We've got it cut uh, in two parts. Right. It's uh, 13 episodes, uh, 12 episodes proper episodes and a prequel episode uh, setup episode not um, counting trial of time lord it's the longest running story arc correct yes that is correct and trial of a time lord is six doctor season uh, which we'll we'll get to eventually i'm sure it'll probably um, be a three-parter <laughs> or maybe even four <laughs> we will probably break it up into its individual stories um, <laughs> but the the monk shows up in i think it's two maybe three episodes of the dalek's master plan Primarily towards the second half, so you'll you'll find him uh, in part two of our discussion on the Daleks' master plan. Uh, yes. If you want to find out more about the monk, after um, we talked not... about Feast of Stephen, correct? Uh, you had to mention <laughs> the Feast of Stephen. <laughs> I'm only making sure we've got the time frame correct. <laughs> yes, after the Feast of Stephen. <laughs> The worst episode of Doctor Who ever. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. It's almost as good as the Star Wars Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> but not which quite. Which isn't saying much. Which isn't saying much at all. Ugh. Anyway. Luckily, it's not even got video left in it anymore. So. <laughs> yeah, that one's basically... Uh, <laughs> 
uh, a telesnap reconstruction. Thank God. <laughs> that one can stay lost. Well, it's a total, um, total throwaway episode anyway, so. <laughs> it is. It, Feast of Stephen can stay lost forever. If you want to hear uh, us talk about that one, listen to the same episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and those are episodes 9 and 10 where we discuss the Daleks' master plan of talking Time Lords. So if you really want to go back and check those out, episodes 9 time and 10. Ago. It, it is. <laughs> it is a long time ago. Does it feel like it was that long ago? I mean, really? Mm, yes and no. <laughs> That's what you said last time I asked you something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Make um, up your mind, Jason. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's get back to the time meddler. Let's give our final thoughts and uh, ratings on on this storyline. So what do, we, what do we want to do? Um, let's let's, see. How about we do how many pandas? Okay. That'll work. How, how many stuffed pandas? You know, how many pandas on a chair? <laughs> <laughs> how many pandas on a chair? Um, let's see. Uh, honestly, based on the story, completely leaving out the fight choreography. Because, let's be honest, as much as it takes away from the story, it's less important than anything else in it. And it lasts about um, 30 seconds. Give or take. Yeah. So, 30 seconds to a minute. Not including that... Based on everything else that's in it, I'm giving it an eight and a half. Nice. <laughs> nice. So the pandas uh, cut in half, just like the nuns were. Oh. <laughs> you, you, like, you like torturing your little things, don't just you? Don't let the uh, stuffing fall out. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm... I love this episode. Uh, it's really one of my favorite first Doctor stories ever. And uh, for the the first Doctor era of storytelling, it actually moves rather quickly yeah, uh, compared to does. a lot of the other stories, um, which makes it one of the more bearable episodes to watch uh, in terms of modern television viewing. Um, because back in the 60s, they told things much slower and they paid a lot more attention to what's called verisimilitude, which is... What happens on screen happens in real time. There are just no real time cuts. Uh, so it takes as long for things to happen on screen as it would in normal life, is what they did a lot of the time. Another thing I liked about this is that with the exception of the Doctor returning to the monastery the second time, there really wasn't a lot of backtracking in this either. No. You know, um, which, which I liked, because in some of the episodes prior to this, there was a lot of backtracking in certain places in some of those stories. You know, it yeah. was like, okay, back and forth, back and forth. now we have to go back over here. Well, now we've got to go back over here. Well, now we've got to go back over here again. Well, now we've got to go back over here again, you know? And, right. And so, especially in some of the more complicated storylines, you know, and to me, that sometimes almost felt like that they were doing that for the sole purpose of filler, you know? Right. Um, and so it was real refreshing for me to only have that one backtrack scene in the story. It was very, uh, a very cohesive, very well-paced story, I thought. And it wasn't oversimplified, but it was still easy to follow. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love this episode and I'm going to get, I'm going to give this nine pandas on a chair. Because you can't Uh, cut one in half. Well, I was going to give it nine anyways, no matter what we did, but because I love this episode. Um, it really is one of my favorite First Doctor stories, period. So uh, I love the, the meddling monk. Um, the Doctor in this um, really is... William Hartnell has really found who his Doctor oh, yeah. is by this time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and 
is really enjoying himself in this role. You can tell, uh, too. Yeah. Vicky, you know, Vicky's, you know, relatively strong in this episode. She's, it's not like a standout episode for her. Uh, but she's, you know, there's nothing that she does that detracts. Uh, Steven is very strong in this episode. Um, and so the companions are great. Uh, and then, you know, while some of the acting on the part of some of the villagers isn't the greatest. Um, and I think a few of those people were actually um, people that had been used in prior episodes before yeah. and had just been put in different costumes and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the... The, some of the acting for the villagers were, wasn't, you know, quite as good in some instances. Uh, they they did just fine. You right. know, they, they, the storyline, as you said, was well paced out for the four episodes. And they did do the time cuts mm-hmm. um, that we, you know, that we see a little bit more, that we see a lot more nowadays. Right. Um, so, <laughs> um, which helped keep the story moving along um, and not dragging out. So I, I really do enjoy it. Um, and I highly, highly recommend this story. And honestly, even if we, even if we weren't, you know, sort of wanting to look at this as if the monk might be a prior, you know, prior incarnation right. of master, I would have wanted to put this in anyways, right. just because I want to talk about it. So. Because it's really, it's really entertaining. It's really entertaining. It is. There is one scene that I will, I will bring up uh, when um, Vicky and Stephen were looking over the cliff. And they were going, oh, we can't see the TARDIS. Where's the TARDIS? You know, because the TARDIS was buried underwater. Um, yeah, she said, if the doctor's left, then that means he can't come back because he can't control the TARDIS and where it goes. Right. And I, in my mind, I was thinking to myself, if this was the 11th doctor and Amy, she would have said, well, we might not see him again for another 20 years, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Because he would have come back. He just might not have come back immediately. It's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> if you'll remember. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else before we start wrapping this up here? Um, l- let me just uh, remind everybody um, that uh, we do have our uh, our new store front up. Um, mm-hmm. We do have uh, our first design available. I have already ordered my shirt. Uh, it is actually... <laughs> Physically in transit to my house right now, uh, very cool. so I'm I'm excited about that um, because um, I'm very likely going to my first Comic Con uh, this this uh, April uh, because Tupelo now has a Comic Con, and Woo-hoo! if I go, I'm wearing my shirt. So there you go. There you go, <laughs> and probably awesome. my scarf. <laughs> awesome. Uh, that'll be great. Make sure you you share pictures. I'm trying to um, talk Jason into coming over here and going with me, but you know he's kind of too cheap. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm um. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it would be cool if we could do a panel, though. I will say that. Yeah. Well, well if anything <laughs> like that develops, we'll let be sure to let you know. Um, <laughs> so before we wrap this up. I uh, do want to let you know our next episode is going to be part one of the War Games. The War Games is uh, actually the final storyline of the Second Doctor, uh, but also features the War Master, who is the reason why we're doing that story. Um, and that storyline is ten episodes long, and so 
rather than doing an extra long episode, we're just going to split it in half, do the first five episodes in uh, next time, and then the second five episodes uh, in the episode after that. So it gives us more time to be able to give you more details about the story that way. Exactly. Uh, so if you want to weigh in on this episode, tell us your favorite master episodes or anything else, uh, you can go ahead and do that on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. You can always tweet us at at Talking Time Lord or email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Of course, links to all of our social media, previously released episodes, and the Talking Time Lords section of the Thunderquack store are available on our website, TalkingTimeLords.com. I have to say something. Okay. I'm beginning to think people don't love us. Why? Because we're not getting any ratings and reviews. On iTunes? Yes, we've got three. We've had three for months. <laughs> we have three. And I was literally listening to a podcast today uh-huh. that has only been going for maybe a year longer than we have. And they are almost to 100 ratings and reviews right now. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so sad. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> Dude, so it literally takes 15 seconds. Come on, guys. <laughs> so if, if you would be so kind <laughs> to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or anywhere that you find our podcast, we'd be greatly appreciative of that. Um, so there's that. Yeah. All right. Before we guilt <laughs> you guys into doing anything else, please. Uh, <laughs> I think that'll wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. Uh, This, of course, has been episode number 54, The Time Meddler. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.
space helmet on that cow. <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that? Oh my gosh. How long have you been sitting on that? Oh, well, I don't, I don't ride cows, so, you know. <laughs> 